Mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, April's total solar eclipse will happen nine weeks from today, and preparations are kicking into high gear. What are local officials most concerned about when it comes to the logistics of managing the expected influx of sightseers? Also this morning, NASA this week is set to launch what they call a revolutionary satellite to measure the Earth's vital signs including everything from wildfires to harmful algal blooms. We'll learn more. And to your help this morning, February is Heart Month. The Cleveland Clinic's annual survey examines the role of technology and AI in keeping your heart healthy. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, February 5th, 2024. It is Super Bowl week. If you are hosting a party for the big game uh, this Sunday, uh, what are you serving up to your guests? According to a new survey, 70% of those who are hosting Super Bowl parties are choosing appetizers over entrees, which makes sense. I mean, this isn't like Christmas or Thanksgiving where you sit down to a big meal. This is not that kind of a gathering. Uh, so finger foods, appetizers, heavy hors d'oeuvres, as they say, is probably the order of the day. And an analysis of Google search terms for appetizers, you know, Super Bowl party appetizers, has found that uh, the they they looked at it state by state, the most popular dishes being served at Super Bowl parties state by state. Uh, For example, in Maine, Montana, Vermont, and Wyoming, meatballs, uh, the uh, number one item on the menu. Um, If you are hosting in Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri, or Indiana, chili. Uh, They're looking for good chili recipes. All right. Um, In Ohio, buffalo wings are number one. Buffalo wings. Uh, not only in Ohio, but also New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Illinois, and Maryland. And uh, guacamole, salsa, chips, and tater tots also rank very highly. So if you're trying to plan out your menu, there you go. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Among the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. So this is kind of an interesting story as we head back to work after the uh, weekend. Um a lot of uh, companies have been laying off people, uh, especially in the tech industry. And amid these layoffs in tech, a new trend has emerged of posting your meeting with HR on TikTok. People are actually doing this. They're posting layoff videos <laughs> on TikTok. Uh, according to Harvard economist Sandra Sh- uh, Susher, the boundary between the personal and professional has been broken. Um, this approach is starkly different from what we typically see posted online with respect to jobs. Um, one marketing professional who was laid off recently said, one of my resolutions this year was to be a lot more open and honest with the things I struggle with in my own life. So part of that is showing the parts of my life that may not be as glamorous. Um, I don't know who necessarily wants to see these uh, layoff videos, but apparently 
some of these people think very highly of themselves that people uh, are just sitting on the edge of the seat, their seat waiting for for updates. And uh, one of the other uh, things that Harvard economist uh, points out is that in this day and age, being laid off carries less of a stigma than what there used to be with it, which makes sense. That part of it makes sense to me. Um, I mean, why, why should there be a stigma associated with being laid off? I mean, it's not anything that you did in most cases, right? Uh, it's, it's something that happens to you. So it's nothing we should be ashamed of, uh, as a, opposed to maybe the shame that we felt in years past. I think we're over that. But I'm, I'm still not sure about posting a layoff video online. I, I hope I never have to worry about it. And uh, by the way, speaking of work, this I, I thought was kind of interesting. This also has gone viral online. A mom in Missouri by the name of uh, Katrina Ivan had a great idea. She had to hire a babysitter for her kids, right? She uh, was, uh, was going out. And I guess she and her husband were going out, uh, hired a babysitter to, uh, to watch the kids. But she had an idea. Uh, she messaged the babysitter, you are more than welcome to just hang out and watch TV all night. But if you want to make some extra money, there are some jobs around the house that are up for grabs. She said, if you want to vacuum the couch, I'll pay an extra three bucks. If you want to organize the kids' toys, pay an extra 10 bucks. If you want to clean out the refrigerator, you can make an extra 15 bucks. Uh, she said, these are chores that she had planned to do herself if the babysitter declined. But since the sitter was going to be there, it was worth it to her to shell out a few extra bucks if uh, she wanted to take on one or more of those, those chores. Uh, this now has gone viral uh, online. Uh, her idea, she posted about it on social media, and uh, her video has garnered more than a million and a half views, many commenters supporting the idea of offering up. They like the idea that the babysitter was given the option, that it wasn't, you know, she didn't make it mandatory or lay a guilt trip on her or anything like that. You can, or you don't have to. It's entirely up to you. Um, some people did think that the compensation was too low, but if the compensation is too low, babysitter doesn't have to do it. So if it's, if it's not enough money, don't do it. No big deal. I kind of like it. I think it's a great idea. I wish I'd have thought of that when my kids were younger. That's, matter of fact, I may, even though I don't have kids uh, at home now, I may hire a babysitter just for that purpose, actually. <laughs> Thinking about it. Uh, and a couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. So uh, this is a climate change story. This is kind of interesting. Apparently, the National, uh, the National Academy of Sciences uh, saying that climate change is making it harder for trees to breathe, meaning harder for them to convert um, carbon dioxide into uh, oxygen. And... Um, Scientists now, this is, the, this is the story that I saw in the uh, Newswire. Scientists um, in, where is this? I'm not sure exactly where this is. Says, Scientists are considering an unconventional approach to address global warming. Deploying giant umbrellas in space to block the sun's rays. 
this when I saw this story, I was like, "That's this can't be serious." This is is this April Fools? Oh, first of April, but no, this is real. Um, this is oh in Israel. Uh, this is from the Asher Space Research Institute, and the Technion Israel Institute of Technology. Uh, this team plans to build a prototype for a sunshade that would cover an area roughly the size of Argentina. I mean, it's that big. This is a huge umbrella they're going to shoot off into space. And um, then the the concept involves blocking a small percentage of the sun's radiation to counteract global warming. Critics say the idea is costly and unrealistic, but proponents stress the importance of exploring out-of-the-box solutions to climate change. So... That is certainly out of the box. He's deploying a giant umbrella into space. That sounds like the plot of a really bad movie. You know what I mean? That's, that's just a... <laughs> but that's what they want to do. A giant umbrella in space. <laughs> uh, I think the folks in uh, Southern California would uh, welcome a giant umbrella in outer space. Maybe uh, protect them from the soaking rain that they've had all weekend long. Amazing out there. Or a place that doesn't get very much rain. They can get a lot of it over the past 24 hours. Um, and this may be the biggest news of the day. This is important stuff. I want to make sure that you know about this right out of the gate. Very important news this morning. The Shamrock Shake is returning next week. Yes, that's right. McDonald's has revealed that the St. Patrick's Day-themed drink will arrive in participating restaurants nationwide starting February well, February 5th. That's today. It's not next week. That's today. The Shamrock Shake is old. Bigger news than I thought it was. I'm sorry. I This must have been uh, something that was on the Newswire last week um, saying that it was next week. It, anyway, February 5th, today, is the, uh, is the day. The iconic shake... Dates all the way back to 1970 is made up of vanilla soft serve ice cream, mint syrup, and whipped topping. The shake will be available while supplies last at participating restaurants beginning today. So, big, big news. Uh, Want to make sure that you are aware of to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather Partly cloudy today, a high around 40. Partly cloudy tonight, a low around 30. Many residents in Fostoria say they're not confident in the safety of the city's drinking water. That's despite city leaders saying it is safe to drink. Residents tell WTOL that it tastes like dirt and has a strong, musty odor. It's a problem they say has been going on for years. The city said in a recent press release they've extensively tested the water. It is safe to drink. WTOL 11's Dan Cummins reporting. City Council has set a meeting for this week to hear from residents. Get more in the story on our website. Carrier's Edge announced that Garner Trucking of Finley has been named a 2024 Best Fleets to Drive for Hall of Fame recipient for the second consecutive year. This also marks the eighth year that Garner has been named a Best Fleet to Drive for. President and CEO Sherry Garner Brumbaugh says their people make this recognition possible. I have a great team at Garner. And they make it possible that we have this recognition. Passionate, caring culture attracts passionate and caring people. I'm super proud of them. Garner Trucking will be recognized on stage at the 2024 Best Fleets to Drive for Education and Awards Conference in North Carolina in April. Get more in the story on our website. 
It's been just over a year since that fiery and toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, south of Youngstown. Since then, more than 170,000 tons of soil have been removed, and more soil samples will be collected and tested later this year. The White House announced that President Biden will visit East Palestine later this month. It'll be his first time visiting the site of that derailment. Angela Ann, ONN News. Finley First Edition had a tremendous showing at the Homestead Showcase in Fort Wayne over the weekend. FFE won overall grand champions, overall best vocals, overall best choreography, overall best instrumental combo, and most dynamic performer. FFE posted on its Facebook page, what a great day at the Homestead Showcase. Thank you to our Homestead friends for hosting an amazing competition. And thank you to all our fans who made the trip to support us. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So if you check the calendar, we are exactly nine weeks out from April's total solar eclipse. It'll be nine weeks from today, and uh, preparations are kicking into high gear at this point. So, what are local officials most concerned about when it comes to the logistics of managing the expected influx of sightseers? Uh, much of that falls to law enforcement, and much of that falls to uh, Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman, who is with us in the uh, studio this morning. And uh, Mike, you're, I know you're going to be uh, retiring soon. Is this like driving you out? Is this like the final? No, it's my. It's not driving me out, but it's my maybe my biggest. This is the it. Last biggest thing. <laughs> I can hope anyway. This is the last biggest thing that's going to happen. Absolutely. Um, We were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. Some of the biggest challenges here is in the unknown. I mean, when we have, you know, a big snow event or a flood or whatever, we've been through those before. We kind of know what to expect. Mm -hmm. This is something totally different. The totally unknown. And this is what we've been talking about. In fact, the... The original committee was started by Lee Swisher, our EMA director for Hancock County, Mm -hmm. two years ago. And they started meeting periodically, and uh, I got more involved in the last year going to the meetings and, you know, updates and everything. And one of the first predictions was was that Forest, Ohio, was going to be the epicenter. Yeah. And so there was a driving force that all this was going to happen and bring all these thousands and thousands of people to Hardin, Wyandotte, and Hancock County. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was trying to plan, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to handle this surge of people? And so now Forest is not what is called the epicenter, apparently. Uh, it's going toward more toward the Lorraine Avon Lake area, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we, last we've heard. So, uh, and, and because nobody has really experienced this before we don't know exactly how many people we can get an idea of how many people uh i was just uh over the weekend uh looking at like airbnb and Mm -hmm. priceline kayak all of those to see what kind of accommodations are available and they're getting to be slim pickings so we know that people are booking rooms yes people are coming people are coming uh you know there's the health department is working with uh, different organizations around the community you know, wanting to set up campsites uh, for, the, for the weekend, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, and maybe Monday. And uh, so we're all trying to figure out where are these people going to be? How many people will there be? Mm-hmm. 
my biggest concern is that uh, people get out on the interstate, get out on State Route 15, State Route 30, being four-lane highway, and it gets to be that 3 o'clock magic hour, mm-hmm. and it starts getting a little bit darker, and people are going to just stop. Yeah. And we don't want people to stop. We want them, if they're traveling through, keep moving. And you know some people aren't going to care. Right. But there's going to be a tremendous amount of people that, as you and I talked prior to going on the air, there are people that go to these functions. Right. Yeah. And we've been told uh, from people we've talked to that, you know, that one guy traveled eight, one mile, but took him eight hours going out of traffic. This is after the event. Because this is, you know, obviously a city that is uh, engineered and designed for a certain number of people who live here. And you're yep. talking about uh, bringing in potentially, you know, double twice. Yeah. Twice or, or more the amount of people on the same roads and, right. and and all of that. So I know one of the one of the things that's being recommended is for people who live here to kind of stay at home or you know gather in small groups the in your day. neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, that is what we've been talking about and, and limit to travel that day. Be prepared for the weekend. Uh, stay at home if you can. Um, a lot of business and industry are talking about shutting down or mm-hmm. having or cutting back less less operation. Uh, schools are talking have closed, I believe, and right. so you know that's going to help. But again, there are certain people that have to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, your people for the hospital, medical people, right? Those people have to be working. We have to be working. So there's going to be a number of people to have to be out and about. And and I know that that's part of uh, the concern as well, being able to respond to emergency Absolutely. situations if you have a medical uh, issue a or traffic, fire, whatever it might happen to yep. be, being able for emergency crews to get through. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be worrying about, you know, 6, 8, 12 inches of snow on the ground or, bl- or hopefully. Having, hopefully not. I've seen it on April the 8th. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say April the 8th. I mean, I remember April the 8th, 1965, when the... Uh, tornado went through right and we don't want that yeah so it's there's all kinds of weather can happen at this time of year Mm -hmm. and i believe you know we've all seen measurable snow on that day so it it could be a beautiful day it could be a a crappy day right right the the i guess the upside is that in this type of a situation as opposed to a snowstorm or a flood or something like that you never know when that's going to happen. Right. We know that this is going to happen on a specific day. So it does, in that regard, make it a little bit easier to plan, does it not? In a certain sense? <laughs> I don't Knowing know. Knowing you've got, you know. <laughs> you know, we've, we've got, I think if we knew a little more, again, like you said before, we've handled the blizzards, we've handled the tornadoes, we've handled all these things, and we know, and the floods, we know how to react. Yeah. But this, we don't know. This is, this is the unknown. unknown. Yeah. This is the real unknown that we don't know yeah. how many people will be here. There's also uh, a bit of, um, I don't want to say competing interests, but obviously your concern uh, is minimizing people moving about. Right. Then there is the idea of we want to welcome these people in Absolutely. Uh, because of the economic impact that it's right. going to have uh, on the community. So it's a balancing act Ex- in that Exactly. And, you know, you talk about the people we want to welcome them in. And so your restaurants, your right. gas stations, 
and all these people is coming in to to take care of these people, mm-hmm. the hotels, motels. We got to be prepared for all these people, mm-hmm. and so it's going to take some planning on their part. If they don't show up, these people are losing money, right? And so it's a, and right now, as you said, uh, I believe that the uh, the reservations are coming in, mm-hmm. so their people are going to be here. Yeah, and what events are we going to be having? Yeah, um, so much of that still remains to be hashed out in the nine weeks between right. now and then. Right. Uh, so this is very much a work in progress. Absolutely. The committee has been meeting and will probably be meeting more often uh, for the next few weeks and trying to hear what everybody is doing. I think the big, one of the big concerns also has been, as I mentioned, the health department's working. We want to make sure if people come here and they're in a campsite or whatever, we'll make sure they, they leave here healthy and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's another uh, thing, and we've been talking about it internally as well. Uh, you know, what are going to be the the pinch points, the pressure points, right. and one of them uh, would be, and this is logical, what happens at three thirty the afternoon of the eighth when everybody is ready to leave. Yeah, I mean, if if you've ever been to the fairgrounds when uh-huh. the fireworks lets out, uh-huh. or the Correct. end of the Halloween parade, Correct. or you know any of those things, and in imagining all of those things letting out at once, and the balloon fest, balloon fest, yeah, yes. it's you know any of these that is going to be the problem, and that is what people are going to have to realize if they leave their home and go somewhere to view this. Mm-hmm. How are you getting home, and yeah. how fast is it going to, or how long will it take you? Yeah, it will. It will take some time, no doubt. Yeah. Years ago, there we had a fireworks display uh, out at the uh, reservoir. Mm-hmm. Everybody got in there just fine, right? Because they don't all come in at the same time. No, but everybody leaves at the same time, and it was a real problem because people were parked, yeah, uh, double lane on the roadways, right? And you had to wait, yeah, and people weren't happy, yeah. So you have to. People are going to have to have patience that day. That's and and I would imagine that's one of the biggest concerns uh, for you, and one of the reasons why, as we said at the outset, some of the uh, advice is to kind of stay within your own neighborhood, correct, and and that kind of thing. Not wanna, wanting to poo-poo this or no, you know, discourage people no. from enjoying what is a very rare event for our area. It's a once but, in a lifetime event, yeah, for us, but planning out all of those other things. Unless you're one of those that you know that travel. Yeah, I'm, and I know people who uh, do that, and it is it is big. So, yeah, like everybody, we've been trying to kind of gauge what are we in for here. So we'll be talking a lot more about this over the next nine weeks as we count down to it, but we want to definitely start letting people know this is what we're thinking, this is what officials are planning for, and as you right. were saying, it basically is planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Absolutely. Like, We're like look, with everything. And I hope and pray that uh, we will have the best and everybody yeah. will enjoy the event. Yeah. Again, uh, Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman with us uh, this morning talking about the uh, pre-eclipse planning going on in the community uh, right now. Mike, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank you. It. So we were talking about... Local preparations being made for April's solar eclipse just a moment ago. That, as it happens, is not the only outer space-related story we're talking about today. NASA this week is set to launch what they call a revolutionary satellite 
to measure the Earth's vital signs. Uh, Michelle Thaller is a NASA scientist with the Goddard Space Flight Center who joins us on the line this morning. So this is the PACE mission, Plankton Aerosol Cloud and Ocean Ecosystem Ecosystem Mission is the PACE uh, satellite, as, as I understand it. Um, and I like that uh, that analogy, measuring the Earth's vital signs, such as, what are you looking at with this uh, mission, with this satellite? Hey, that's wonderful. You, you got the acronym, you're all set. I, I see, you know, the, 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 the name tells you a lot about the scientific goals. So um, one of the vital signs, very simply, is uh, the health of the oceans. And ocean color can tell us a lot about how healthy the organisms are. The, the, first, P, the first letter P is plankton. And, you know, your plankton, of course, are these tiny little organisms in the ocean. They're actually responsible for a lot of our oxygen. They are the basis of the food chain. <clears throat> and sometimes they have sort of uh, uh, harmful blooms where there's too much plankton, and that hurts the fisheries, it mm-hmm. hurts food security. So the color of the oceans is one of the easiest and sort of biggest things that we're doing to figure out where the the, the plant life and the animal life is healthy. So, uh, yeah, harmful algal blooms are something that in northwest Ohio are very uh, familiar with. Everyone knows uh, the issues in Lake Erie in uh, recent years and uh, also in many inland uh, lakes and and waterways uh, as well. So how does this – what can this satellite do from – you know, thousands of miles in space that you can't do on the ground to measure these things. Well, you know, the thing about observing from space is you, you get the you get the best view because because all of a sudden you can see the entire planet all at once, and your pace will be able to measure as it goes around an orbit. You know, really, what's happening all over the world, and everything is connected. So, you know, it's it's if you want to see how the entire system is working. You know, you, you don't just want one ground, for example, with the weather. You don't want one radar system here, one there. You want to be able to see what's happening over the whole planet, how one part of the planet affects the other. And so, so that's why we go to space for these things. Certainly, we also input data from the ground as well, and we use that to calibrate what we see from space. So there'll be scientists. You're out in the oceans, and they'll be taking measurements of the ocean color where they are on a boat, and that will be used to make sure that our satellite is taking the right measurements. Now, you referenced the uh, weather satellites that, that you have now, uh, in, that we have now in space. This is more than just another weather satellite, but it will be uh, used in conjunction. The data will be used in conjunction with other existing satellites that we do have right now, correct? Oh, absolutely. This is, this is Earth system science. We, we, we use every single satellite, every single ground station we have. We take data from commercial aircraft. We put that all into a supercomputer at Goddard Space Flight Center. And we actually input over a million observations per hour. And we use that to figure out what, what's happening with all aspects of the Earth. And, you know, the, the second letter, A, stands for aerosol. That seems a little weird. But what an aerosol is is anything that's lofted into the atmosphere. And that could be things like smoke from a forest fire. Or that could be things like, you know, uh, you know the sea salt. You know, or, or any kind of pollution that we're creating. And that changes, it, that turns out that changes the weather patterns, that changes the way that the atmosphere takes energy in. It also changes the way the atmosphere interacts with the ocean. And so, unlike a weather satellite, we're actually going to be looking at all of the particles that are in the atmosphere and how that, that also affects what's going on. 
So, and again, this here also is something that we can relate with as uh, most of the, especially eastern third of the country, uh, just a few months ago experienced uh, air quality issues with the Canadian wildfires. Mm-hmm. So, again, be looking at uh, things like that. So, uh, at the end of the day, what do you hope to to get from all of this data and how will that be used? Because, again, it's about more than just you know, identifying these uh, moments in time and what's happening uh, in the here and now, you're looking at uh, long-term impacts of all of these things on weather and climate, uh, you know, long-term, right? That's right. You got it. You know, so it's funny. I mean, you, you have all of these things that, that relate to Ohio. You've got to get the plankton, you've got the aerosol, you've right. got the clouds. And, uh, and then now you have this idea of the Earth ecosystem. And of course... What we're trying to do is get a better sense on how our Earth is changing and what's going to happen in the future. And so one of the things that is the biggest uncertainty for us in how we sort of make these predictions are, in fact, these aerosols. Um, aerosols, for example, can cool the climate. You know, if, if you have like a big volcanic eruption or even lots of fires, all of those particles launched up into the atmosphere can have an effect on like reflecting sunlight back into space, that's you cooling us off. So there's a balance between what's going on, what we're putting up there, how we're actually warming the Earth's climate, you know, from all of our greenhouse gases, Mm -hmm. but it's complex. And so we're trying to understand it better so we can make better predictions. Absolutely. Uh, Now, this launch, uh, as I understand it, is going to happen, what, early tomorrow? Is that the the plan? Uh, 1.33 a.m. Okay. It's going to be a long Uh, day for me. (laughs) So so how long before we start to get data uh, from this uh, and and really usable data that we can plug in and, and really start researching? Oh, it won't be long at all. I mean, certainly there will be uh, a couple of days and weeks of checking out the instruments, making mm-hmm. sure everything is working well. Right. But we should have some of our first data coming down you know, within a couple of weeks. And, uh, and then we'll get all of this stuff right into you know, all of these amazing computer models that we're trying to do to, to understand the Earth. So you were mentioning uh, a lot of the types of data that will be collected uh, by the uh, PACE satellite. What are you most excited to learn that we don't fully understand right now? So one of the things that, you know, we really don't understand well at all is, is what we call the carbon cycle. And of course, we, we know the basic idea. What we mean by that is what is putting out carbon into the atmosphere, which mm-hmm. warms it, carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. and what is taking it back in? You know, for example, when, when a tree grows, a tree turns carbon dioxide into, into wood. You know, right. It actually takes carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And the oceans have been, be- they've been behaving in a way that we don't understand yet. They're actually taking more carbon out than we expect. So when it comes to understanding how our planet works, there are some really big uncertainties. And we're, we're going to use this satellite to really hone in on them. Really fascinating stuff, and again, some real-world implications on uh, issues that we have dealt with, uh, even right here in Northwest Ohio, but getting that big sort of planetary view uh, from this PACE satellite. We've got a link on our webpage for more information uh, from the NASA website on uh, this mission and what it entails and what is all involved, if folks want to dig into this a little bit deeper. And again, Michelle uh, Thaller is a a NASA scientist with a God Space Flight Center with us this morning, kind of break it down in, uh, into some digestible parts here this morning. Michelle, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks very much for uh, joining us this morning. 
Hey, great to be here. Thank you. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. You know how they say crime doesn't pay? Well, in this case, the crime was in how he paid. Uh, Story out of Decula, Georgia. 20-year-old Jalen Klein tried to use a stolen credit card to pay his probation fees. (laughs) Tried to use a stolen credit card to pay his court fees. Uh, he was arrested and charged with two offenses, uh, for making what some would call the most wrong decision you can possibly make. I mean, think about this. Uh, Miss Klein used a credit card he allegedly stole from a vehicle he broke into last month to make an online payment to, in a uh, probation case that, (laughs) according According to investigators, he also used the same credit card at a local gas station and restaurant. After being served a search warrant at his residence last week, Mr. Klein was booked into the Gwinnett County Jail, where he may be facing more charges in addition uh, to entering a motor vehicle and financial transaction card fraud. (laughs) It's in a little bit of trouble there for uh, using a stolen credit card to pay his court fees. Not too bright. <laughs> Sometimes criminals just make it too easy. You know what I mean? That's just too easy. Not to be outdone. A Florida man has been accused of creating a fake check to buy a $140,000 Porsche 911 Turbo. <laughs> Authorities claim that Casey William Kelly used his computer and printer to make a copy of a cashier's check. Uh, the dealership reported the check as a fake. Um, apparently, they didn't let him buy the $140,000 Porsche. They were a bit suspicious. <laughs> Authorities were able to locate Mr. Kelly when he allegedly used another fake check to buy a $61,000 watch or three uh, Rolex watches actually totaling $61,000 uh, $61,000 at a jeweler in Miramar Beach. <laughs> Mr. Kelly has been charged with grand theft of a motor vehicle or attempted grand theft of a motor vehicle and using a false banknote according to the Walton County uh, prosecutor. No, I'm going to be suspicious at all when you uh, bring in a $140,000 bank check. I just want to just want to verify this here first. No, you don't have to verify it. Don't worry. It's I'm good for it. <laughs> Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, this is a crazy story out of Texas. A dog that has the nine lives of a cat. Coast Guard officials say Connie the, Connie the dog was found in a shipping container at the Bayport, Bayport Terminal in Port Houston on Wednesday of last week. Inspectors randomly checking containers at the terminal heard barking and scratching coming from inside one of the shipping containers. 
Uh, it was in a container that arrived on January 23rd with a cargo of junk cars, cars that were being scrapped. Uh, they opened the container and found a very tired and very hungry canine, Connie, they've named her, was taken to the Pasadena, uh, Texas Animal Shelter uh, for care. She's being treated and will eventually be put up for adoption. They theorize that she uh, took shelter. She was a stray that took shelter in one of the junk cars, and then the junk cars were loaded into the shipping container, and that's how she got inside. But can you imagine? I mean... Wow. For more than a week, week and a half, uh, trapped in that shipping container. So good to see that that story has a happy ending. Uh, Here's another story with a happy ending from the International File, something very unusual. Um, At least two people were saved. A driver and a passenger in a Tesla were recognized or were, were rescued, rather, were rescued by one of Norway's floating saunas. After the driver drove the vehicle into a fjord near an area where uh, where ships were were docked, um, according to the owner of the car, the vehicle wound up in the water because he hit the accelerator by accident. He thought the vehicle was in park. And he hit the, <laughs> he hit the accelerator, drove into the water. Video shows the driver and passenger sitting on top of the vehicle as it sinks. Uh, to protect themselves from the cold water below. Luckily for them, one of the city's floating saunas... <laughs> I didn't even really realize they had floating saunas in the fjord there in uh, in Norway, but apparently they do, because they're very big into saunas in Norway. They have floating saunas, and one of the floating saunas happened to pass by, and they were able to jump off the car into the sauna. They were soon uh, they were rescued. Uh, And not only were they rescued from their sinking automobile, they were, of course, able to use the sauna to warm up after being in the frigid water. (laughs) Maybe uh, maybe we should uh, start installing floating saunas in big bodies of water just to be on the safe side. It would be a safety thing. Uh, But thank goodness for the floating saunas. That's weird. And finally, in the broken news this morning, and here's another happy story. Always love happy stories in the broken news. 30 employees of a middle school in Kentucky uh, who have been playing the lottery together for years finally won big, a $1 million jackpot. The group at Rector A. Jones Middle School call themselves the Jones 30 and they have been playing the lottery together for over 10 years. They pool their money and they buy a bunch of lottery tickets and then, uh, agree to split the proceeds. Um, (laughs) uh, let's see here. The group came to the lottery's office on January 30th. It said to collect their prize. Each winner will get about $24,000 after taxes. Not a bad haul. What I thought was funny about this story, and the reason this caught my eye and made the broken news, was worthy of the broken news, uh, the math teacher uh, was the one who was charged with holding on to the tickets. Math teacher uh, bought the tickets and, uh, and, and held on to them in, in a safe place. What was the safe place that he stored the lottery tickets in between the pages of a math book? 
because, as the math teacher says, no one looks in a math book. <laughs> That's the teacher admitting that nobody looks in the math book. <laughs> nobody will steal the lottery tickets there because nobody looks in the math book. <laughs> there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So the Super Bowl is coming up, Super Bowl 58. And according to a an American survey of 2,000 Super Bowl watchers, 40% look forward to attending or hosting a party for the big game rather than simply watching at home. Uh, but it seems they're actually looking more forward to the party than the game itself. The overall average viewing time watching the actual athletes on the field is just 29 minutes out of the three-hour official broadcast. Just 29 minutes actually watching the game. Now, I would imagine if, uh, say, the Lions or the Browns were playing, that number would go up dramatically. But, you know, the 49ers and the Chiefs, they kind of been there, done that. So it's more about the party than it is about the game. Uh, 29% spend more time in front of the snacks and the food table than anywhere else. 9% even admit that they are unlikely to know which teams are playing in the game. (laughs) That's how big of a party this is. We don't even care about the game. We don't even know who's playing and we're still going to the party. 9% (laughs) say they don't know almost one in 10 don't even know who's playing. Uh, although when asked who won last year's Super Bowl, one third were able to correctly identify the Kansas City Chiefs as the reigning champions who will, of course, be defending their crown this year. 55% say they look forward to the halftime show. 45% are eager to see the commercials and 40% like the drinks. (laughs) 38% say they want to see the competition on the field. Here is a tip. If you are attending a party, and this is uh, actually uh, something from the survey here, 77% would agree that it is rude to stand and talk in the same room that people are trying to watch the game. So if that's your thing, if you'd rather conversate and visit with friends rather than watch the actual game, take it to the kitchen. Uh, you know, in the living room, family room, wherever the game is on, uh, leave that to the people who actually want to watch the game. You just go into the kitchen and, you know, have your conversation. So 77% say that it is rude to stand and talk in the same room that people are trying to uh, watch the game.
Well, February, of course, is American Heart Month, and the Cleveland Clinic's annual Heart Health Survey for 2024 examines how Americans are using technology to improve their heart health and how they feel about the emerging role of artificial intelligence in heart care. We are joined this morning by Dr. Emmanuel Finette, staff cardiologist in the section of heart failure and transplantation medicine in the Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Finette, what did you find from the survey? Kind of lay out some of the uh, highlights here for us. Sure. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me to the program. Um, So this year's surveys um, found out that about 50% of Americans uh, use at least one uh, device technology to improve their, their health. Most of them are wearables. And about more than 80% of them that actually have them, they actually do use it to improve their, their health. The most common things they monitor are their daily steps, also their heart rate and their caloric uh, intake. And they also are able to monitor their sleep patterns and so forth. Um, it also showed that, uh, you know, AI and this uh, um, softwares are able to uh, provide information and they believe that most of uh, the time, those are uh, accurate information, but they were not trusted by itself. But they, and the vast majority of them, would consider that they do need to still see a doctor to confirm those findings and to provide care. So uh, the population clearly understands that, you know, healthcare requires a caring physician. And I think that's very encouraging to know. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, you know, your thoughts on uh, some of these uh, statistics that are revealed through this survey, whether they are uh, positive trends or not. I know, especially with respect to artificial intelligence, there's been so much talk about AI and how it's being used and how it may be used in the future. Um what are some of the advantages as someone in the healthcare industry? What do you see as some of the advantages of these AI-driven technologies uh, with respect to promoting better heart health? Yes, there are several, from a physician perspective, there are several uh, advantages. So clearly, these are computer-driven uh, systems, and they help us to compute information and integrate information uh, that is very complex uh, more efficiently. So uh, we have a technology that currently Cleveland Clinic, for example, is using for uh, self-reporting. We have technology that has been used to uh, improve prediction and improve diagnosis of certain conditions. Uh, As you know, Cleveland Clinic uh, collaborates with IBM, and they have um, um, partnered in the unveiling uh, recently of the first quantum computer which is much more powerful than any other supercomputer that we have currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will be dedicated for research. So, um, so clearly the computing aspect, it is uh, unquestionably will be an advantage. Um, however, medicine is much more than providing information, right? It, it requires uh, the, the love and the care and the emotional intelligence that physicians can provide. Uh, so I think they will complement both very well. For those who are um, looking to utilize uh, this type of technology, particularly the wearable technology, which, as you mentioned, is is kind of the most common, I guess, interface uh, for this, for lack of a better term, how would you encourage patients to utilize that technology with respect to uh, enhancing and improving their heart health? I think the patients that 
um, have access to this technology may benefit from the motivation and accountability that these devices can pro- provide. Um, the ability to objectivize what they do um, so that they are not deceived by their you know, perceived impressions. For example, if they, uh, they have the goal of exercising more, well, a device can track maybe how much movement they have done on, on the way of steps uh, or whether a heart rate rate has been during these exercises. Um, and that can be converted into, you know, into calories that are assumed. Well, the patients can track exactly what they are eating and then be a little more self-aware of the things that are really eating and how many calories they are there they're having or how much they are sleeping. Or, or if they find, you know, rapid heart rates or slow heart rates and they feel tired, um, technologists, as I mentioned before, they can monitor uh, an electrocardiogram instantaneously mm-hmm. and then email that to their physician. So, so all that is, is very, very helpful um, for us because, in a way, we have eyes where the patient is and we are not, you know, physically there. Yeah. So that needs to be processed. That needs to be processed to make sure that, that, that all the data that we gather is actually good data, accurate data. Um, so that requires a physician still. And, and just to underscore the point that you were making earlier in conjunction with that, important for people to recognize that this is being used uh, in conjunction with medical advice from a physician, from a doctor. It's not as a replacement. And how do physicians then utilize that data to provide the more personalized heart care that uh, is what ultimately we want to get to? Yes, that's a very good question. Well, we utilize that data in particularly because we, when we see the patient in the office, right, we only see them for 15, 20, 30, 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, our, that's only a, a point in time, right? But the patient lives continuously. Right. So this wearable technology allows us to really have an idea of what the patients are doing at home. Now, granted, this data has to be tested like by randomized clinical trials, like any other you know, medical uh, uh, drug or treatment that we currently u- utilize. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a step that still needs to be made. But from an information perspective, it actually has been, has been very valid, especially now in, uh, uh, in distance health relationships in which we can see patients from far away, um, uh, you know, either by phone or video conference. And then we can have eyes where the patients are even when we are not there, as I said. Yeah. And uh, again, referencing the survey, it certainly appears that patients are embracing this technology. Uh, this, I think, maybe uh, sheds some light on just how valuable it is. I think, you know, for example, when I picked up my first smartwatch and I get, you know, the the you know, I can monitor some of these things, heart rate and number of steps. And, you know, that's really interesting when you first get it. Then you start to open this up and see, and see all of the implications and all of the ways it can actually benefit uh, us uh, in the in the larger picture. Again, uh, February American Heart Month. Uh, we're talking about the Cleveland Clinic's annual heart health survey. Dr. Emmanuel Finette is with us this morning from the Cleveland Clinic. Where do we get more information uh, about the survey and some of what we're talking about here today? Yes, Chris. Uh, for the listeners, they can go to clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheart. They will find more information about it. Dr. Vanette, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. 
And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net, our little corner of the World Wide Web. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.